0: Good morning. I thank you again for having me. It is a privilege and it's a pleasure to wake up on a Sunday morning knowing that I'm coming here. The call to worship comes from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands and day after day they pour forth speech and night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat." The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant; of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, much more pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive us our hidden faults. Keep your servants also from willful sins, that they may not rule over us then we will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, most holy and righteous God, in whom there is no failing and no fault, we thank you for your love which you have revealed to us. We thank you for the work of your Son by whose sacrifice we can gather. We thank you for your Spirit with which you have blessed each one of us that dwells within us and reveals to us the glories of your work and of your creation. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and the blessing of your grace. As we gather today here in your presence, may we know that loving guidance that comes from a Father May we be strengthened, encouraged and instructed by your word, and may we recognize and respond to your calling on our lives. Refresh us, Lord, and give us wisdom to honor and serve you more. Let us know your heart and see what you see. Glorious Lord, we honor you and praise you with our hearts and minds, by our speech and actions. May you find pleasure in our praise and rejoice in our offering to you. We thank you again, Father, for the grace upon which we all rely. And thank you for your spirit by which we are able to live our lives with you. Amen.
1: The Bible reading this morning is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. That's in page 91. The parable of the Good Samaritans. A teacher of the law came up and tried to trap Jesus. Teacher, he asked, with what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus answered him, what do the scriptures say? How do you interpret them? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. You are right, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the teacher of the Lord wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus answered, there was once a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when robbers attacked him, stripped him and beaten him up, leaving him half dead. It so happened that a priest was going down that road. But when he saw the man, he walked on by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite also came along, went over and looked at the man, and then walked on by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was travelling that way, came upon the man, and when he saw him, his heart was filled with pity. He went over to him, poured oil and wine on his wounds and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own animal and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him, he told the innkeeper, and when I come back this way, I will pay you whatever else you spend on him. And Jesus concluded, In your opinion, which of these three acted like a neighbour towards the man? Attacked by the robbers. The teacher of the law answered the one who was kind to him. Jesus replied, You go then and do the same. Here endeth the lesson.
0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your written word. And we pray, Lord, now as we consider these words, that they would be more than a mere record of things past, but that you would speak to us and they would become a living word as you speak to us now and here. Amen. A few weeks ago, you may remember the horrific scenes that we saw on TV as the drummer Lee Rigby was hacked to death on the streets. We were reminded of it again this week because his funeral was on Friday. One of the unfortunate events that followed after was racist and fascist groups saw this as an excuse to protest. On this occasion, they claimed they were protesting against the evils of Islam, but the reality is they will protest against any immigrant group for really no reason at all, but they will do so. But there was one good story that came from it. In England, in York, a small group of protesters gathered at their local mosque to protest. The members of that mosque were prepared, and when the protesters arrived, they offered them tea and biscuits, and so they had tea and biscuits, had a great conversation, and finished up playing football together. It's a really good story. It's a wonderful way of showing how being a good neighbour crosses racial, theological, political boundaries of all sorts. Except neither group were Christian. Neither group claimed to be Christian, and neither group claimed to be followers of the Lord. So, is this an appropriate story for us to consider in church this morning? You might wonder why not. Well, for some people, when we gather on a Sunday morning, we come to hear the wonders of our Lord and of his amazing works, to grow in our knowledge and understanding of his grace, and to be encouraged in our faith. There is a hope that when we leave here today, we will have been fed and strengthened so that we may grow in our faithfulness to him. But there is nothing in this story from York that necessarily tells us anything of the Lord or to encourage us in our spiritual life. There are those that would go further and say that as everything that is good comes from God, that unless it has come from God, it cannot be good. Therefore, The argument continues. It is not possible to know the love of God outside of the Christian church or to truly understand what goodness is. Therefore, there can be no merit in anything anyone else does. But then I doubt when the Jewish lawyer stood up to question Jesus on how to inherit eternal life, he was expecting within a few short sentences to be told to be more like a Samaritan. It is shocking, because after all, the Samaritans weren't a completely different religion. They were an apostate Jewish religion. The conversation begins as expected. The lawyer asks how to inherit eternal life, and the Lord gives him a chance in front of his friends to show that he knows his stuff. He answers correctly, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind or some translations put it with all your understanding and he carries on and also love your neighbor as yourself but it's in answering the question as to who is my neighbor that things seem to go a bit awry Jesus tells a story about a man a victim but we don't know anything else about him who is robbed on a dangerous road and left for dead both a priest and a Levite walk by. They see the man, but they don't stop. Jesus doesn't give any reasons as to why they walked by. I mean, after all, he's talking to a lawyer, so he's possibly being very careful about what he does and doesn't say. There are two arguments as to why they walk by. Some would argue that if the man had been left for dead, the priest and the Levite's duty to God to remain undefiled overrode any other duty they may feel and therefore they were wise not to approach. But then others have also argued that as they were traveling, and possibly traveling away from Jerusalem, they were not bound by the same rules. And even if they had defiled themselves, they still had time to go through the purification rituals that would have meant they continued to serve the Lord when they got to their duty. It would appear how we interpret this scene really depends on whether we want to condemn the priest and the Levite, Or we want to defend them but either way jesus doesn't give a reason because the important thing here is the man needed help and they didn't help him the lawyer for who the story is being told would have anticipated a dig at the uselessness of external purity when there is nothing in the heart but then at that point he would expect jesus to continue and tell the story of a righteous jew who comes along and helps the man Someone who is pure in heart, acting in the love and grace of our Lord. There is always a danger of asking questions you think you know the answer to. Because that isn't what happens. Instead, it is a Samaritan that appears. And it's not even that the Samaritan was the victim. Jesus here has made the Samaritan the hero. And as I said, it's easy for us to forget how shocking this was. Because we only ever mention Samaritans to talk of the good Samaritans. But for those that Jesus was talking to, to put it colloquially, the only time they mentioned Samaritans was to remind each other about how they were the scum of the earth. If Jesus had wanted to give a story that told us that everyone is our neighbor, then it would have been radical enough to make the victim a Samaritan and have a Jew stop to help a Samaritan. That would have been quite... Radical as it was. But he doesn't. He talks well of the Samaritan. He's doing it because by speaking well of the Samaritan, making the Samaritan the hero, he's exposing the heart of the lawyer. He's showing up the prejudice that's really hidden away. Even at the end, when the lawyer is asked who is the neighbor, the lawyer cannot say the Samaritan. He simply says, the one who showed mercy. Jesus tells the lawyer to go and do likewise. He tells a Jew to be more like a Samaritan. The lawyer's heart towards Samaritans, like many Jews at that time, was not one of love. Remember, remember, How shocking it was that Jesus walked through Samaria when most Jews would have avoided the area altogether, even though it meant many extra miles on their journey. But let's not be too quick to judge, because the lawyer would have had good reason to keep separated from the Samaritan. The relationship between Judaism and the religion of the Samaritans wasn't like the relationship between Christianity and Islam or Buddhism or any other religion you care to mention where there might be some similarities, but there are some very important differences. The Samaritans claimed to worship Yahweh, the same God that the Jews worship, the same God that we have gathered here to worship. But unlike the Jews, they didn't do it in the way that was prescribed in the scriptures. Nor had they made any attempt to remain pure, and their ancestry was mixed. They'd also picked up some habits and traditions from elsewhere. They were apostate, and far from being faithful. And any faithful worshipper of Yahweh would naturally want to avoid them. After all, if you associate with them, you could run the danger of being led astray and also removing yourself from the blessing of God. To make matters worse, just a few years before this question was asked of Jesus, some Samaritans had thrown human bones into the temple during the Passover, which confirmed in the Jewish mind that these were despicable people, corrupted morally and religiously. I don't know if that sounds familiar, the idea of one religious group terrorizing another and reinforcing stereotypes. If the lawyer was going to keep himself pure, surely it was right not to mix with such people. But that doesn't answer another question. And the question that we should ask ourselves this morning as well is how can someone who claims to love the lord their god with all their heart all their mind all their soul and all their strength end up in a place where there are a group of people that when they see them they expect no good of them at all the reality is as christians we may find it easier to empathize with the lawyer than we would like to admit we do desire to be faithful And hopefully we also desire to be good neighbours. But if we're honest, we don't like conflict. And we definitely don't want to be accused of being unfaithful by our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Being a Christian can sometimes leave us at odds with our neighbours and the world around us. Standing up for the gospel, remaining pure and faithful to the Lord isn't always as easy as we think as it sounds. We live in a country where not everyone shares the same beliefs, the same moral standards, the same attitudes and opinions as we do. So if we befriend these people, are we being faithful witnesses? Or are we opening ourselves up to the danger of being led astray? And do we not have a duty to guide people on the straight and narrow? If you just think about some of your own neighbours... And their, their lifestyles, you may understand what I mean. There are times when being a good neighbour and being a faithful witness creates a tension within us because we don't know what the right thing to do is. And when that tension is created, there are two different ways, there are a few ways we can deal with it. For some people, the easiest way to deal with any tension is to avoid the people or certain groups of people altogether If we have nothing to do with them, we won't feel at odds. The other option is to live life on the defensive and spend all our time justifying why we have this attitude, why we have this opinion and why we have these beliefs and why we don't agree with everything that's going on in society. But either way, in reality, it's all too easy to fall into an us-and-them mentality. In the lawyer's case... The us was faithful Judaism. The other was apostate Samaritans. Yet, despite this prejudice that the lawyer had in his heart, Jesus was quite gentle with him. He didn't teach him by confrontation or by condemnation, but by example. But Jesus also does something in this story that we could not get away with today. He speaks in generalizations. If I was to stand up here and tell you a story about Africans this and Americans that and women this and men that, I would like to think that at least one of you would lynch me before I got out the door. But it's in speaking in generalizations that Jesus exposes the prejudice. Because let's think for a minute. Were all priests the same? Would every Levite have walked by? Are all Samaritans the same? Would every Samaritan walking down that road on that day have stopped to help? Or would some of the Samaritans have walked by too? Of course, the answer to these questions is no. Because someone's nationality, their job, is no more a sense of measure of their morality than the shoes they wear. But prejudice feeds off generalizations. When people are labelled, we no longer see a person but a thing. If you watch the news, then labels are used to great effect all the time. Christians, Muslims, single mums, homosexuals, benefit recipients. As if all these labels, everyone that fell into one of these labels was exactly the same. Not one of these labels tells you anything about the person. When it comes to loving our neighbour... Jesus sees past the racial, and even, it would appear, theological boundaries. When it comes to how to treat our neighbor, the lawyer, in avoiding using the word Samaritan, gives the perfect answer. The one who showed him mercy. And in its simplest form, to show mercy is not to treat people the way that they deserve. Jesus was able to speak of a good Samaritan because he doesn't think of people as Jews or Samaritans. Jesus thinks of people as people. He loves the person. Jesus sees the individual. Just as every one of us here today can claim that Jesus' love for us is as if we were the only people in the world, so is his love for our neighbor. When Jesus sees my neighbor's, he doesn't see labels because he knows their names. He knows their hearts. He knows their thoughts, their fears, and their pains. This is how Jesus sees our neighbor, your neighbors too. The one person in this story that we know nothing about is the victim. We do not know his faith, his nationality, his job, or his lifestyle. All we are told and all that we know is that he needed help and that he received it. We also know that by the end of the story, the victim did not become a Samaritan. It is possible to show mercy to people without them becoming like you or you becoming like them. When Jesus tells us to go and do likewise, he's inviting us to join him in the love that he has for our neighbor. Love that desires to see the best in a person. That sees past the labels and does not categorize people as others. The story I told you at the start worked in York because the people started to get to know each other individually. But it would be wrong for me to now presume, or for any of us to presume, that this would be true of every mosque or that every EDL protester would have reacted in the same way. After all, no two Muslims, Baptists, Catholics, teenagers, single mums, homosexuals, benefit claimants, etc. Use your own labels. No two people are the same. And we who've received the mercy of God know that we have not been treated as we deserve. When we come to the Lord, he hears us and receives us and knows us for who we are. When Jesus made the hero of the story a Samaritan, the unfaithful worshipper, he was also letting us know that it is possible for all of us to do the will of God. It is possible for all of us to show mercy We are all capable of being used by the Lord without first being perfect. The Lord can and will work through whoever he chooses. We who have received mercy are called to show mercy. We who have been forgiven are asked to show forgiveness. After all, we also know that mercy is just the beginning. For as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, the more we come to know the meaning of words such as grace, We may get it wrong, but then there is also no end to the depth of his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. The lawyer recognized the neighbor as the one who showed mercy. Jesus responded by simply saying, go and do likewise. The Lord came and showed mercy to all, irrespective of nationality, theology, or even their moral standing. For there are no boundaries to the mercy of Christ.
2: Let us come before our God in prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we come before you now in the mercy of your own compassion. You have shown us in the giving of your son what it means to be the personification of love, mercy, and care. You have shown us the audacious extent of self-sacrifice and indeed of inconvenience. So help us now to know who our neighbor is. Help us to see our neighbor clearly through the eyes of your divine mercy and divine compassion. And help us to love our neighbor with the mercy and the sacrifice you have modeled for us in your Son. We think first today of our neighbors in conflicted areas around the globe. We bring before you the ravages internal to Syria. We pray for the deep antagonism that has developed across sectarian lines there, for the intensity of violence that goes on in the name of insurgents and counterinsurgents, and the immense national and personal suffering that has resulted from it. Help us to know, as those observing a self-destructing country, how best to respond amid all the complications of ally and enemy. Teach us what compassion is in a situation so racked with ruination and with the ongoing threat to spill into surrounding regions. We also bring before you the political turmoil that is Egypt. We pray for compassion to reign across all party divisions, across all social divides, so that the country does not descend into the widespread violence that we are witnessing in a place like Syria. Lord, here we pray for political compassion as much as we pray for religious, theological, and ideological Compassion. We bring before you, too, all the other many regions of conflict that do not make our daily news. Help us to an awareness of pain beyond the glare of media spotlights. Help us to a compassion for those voices, national, regional, local, and personal, who are not heard on a daily basis, and who suffer in the darkness of their own bleak situations. We bring before you also our own region, our own byways and our own streets. Here too we know that conflict is everywhere around us and media has its role in showing us the worst of the excesses. We think, for example, the ongoing conflicts that continue to plague deep beneath the currents of Northern Irish society and for the recent flare-up in riots, again, around deep sectarian conflict. But we also pray, Lord, to see those who are not heard because they cannot scream. Or we pray to see those and attend to those who scream but are ignored because, like the story we heard this morning, they are not deemed worthy or worthy enough. Show us our own guilt of ignorance or refusal. Forgive us when we walk by knowingly. Teach us a mercy and a compassion for those we have a difficult time loving. Finally, Lord, we bring those before you who are in our church. Here, too, we may experience those we have difficult difficulties in loving. But as a church, show us how to be the model of compassion to each other. And in our silences right now, Lord, we bring before you those we know are in conflict within our congregation or those we know that we have difficulties giving ourselves to in loving mercy, compassion, and sacrifice. Lord, we ask you to hear our words spoken and silent. You have shown yourself as the true light of mercy and compassion. In your compassion, hear our prayers. For we pray this in the name of your Son, who acted out his compassion and mercy on every level and to every person. Amen.
0: May the God of all creation be your strength and your guide as you travel through this coming week. May the work of his Son know its fullness in all that you say and do. And may the Holy Spirit work in you and flow through you, that through you the Lord's blessing would be known by all those around you.